Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us, Lord, uh, through whatever storm we might face. And Lord, it seems that, that there are dark clouds on the horizon today and that uh, we might be facing times that like we've never seen before in our lifetime, maybe in anybody's lifetime. And so, Lord, I ask today that you use this test. Joseph was in a similar situation. He, he was heading into a, a situation, into a time in which uh, there would be a great famine in the land and, and uh, people were going to suffer greatly. And he was there to, to be God's man during that time. And Lord, we just can learn so many lessons from, from the story of Joseph as he dealt with a famine that uh, very similar to a famine we might face, Lord. So I just ask that you, you use us, you, use uh, this this word today, and use me, Lord, to to uh, uh, teach us these lessons that uh, only you can teach. And Lord, just to bless us and show us how we can be blessed in the most difficult of times. And Lord, I most of us know these truths. And Lord, I just ask that you open our hearts and seal these truths in our hearts today as we. As we go through your word, I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. My wife was looking online the other day. She showed me something she spotted, and uh, it was a little, uh, I guess you would call it a joke about uh, what will all uh, come out of this uh, like uh, when this virus is over. We'll come out of this virus one of three ways, and it's just a series of words. One is a hunk, one is a clunk, one is a monk. Or one is a drunk, and uh, you can stop and think about that. But 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 it makes sense that if you if you spend all your time working out, you're going to be a hunk. If you spend all your time eating, you're going to be a chunk. If you spend all your time in the Word of God, you're going to be a monk. And if you uh, spend all your time in the bottle, you're going to be a drunk. But uh, one word that's not on that list that might ought to be there is is maybe a punk, a lean punk. And by lean, I'm talking about not lean from from uh, exercising or lean from dieting. I'm talking about lean from uh, not having enough food to eat. And, and uh, I think people are asking that question right now. Uh, what's the world going to be like when, when things open back up? Uh, is it going to be feast or is it going to be famine? Our president is a pretty optimistic man. He calls himself the cheerleader of America. And, and he believes, I think, sincerely that uh, uh, we're, we're going to go through a feast and not a famine, but, but uh, I think a lot of people would disagree with that. They're not so optimistic because they see these really dark clouds on the horizon. Uh, they see, see life being more like a famine than a feast when, when, when all of this is over. Uh, the head of the UN uh, uh, recently said that uh, within months the coronavirus is going to push the world into a series of famines of biblical proportions. Uh, I don't put much stock in what the head of the UN says, but in this case, he might be right uh, because of the fact that there are a lot of nations in the world that are on the verge of famine today, even before this virus hit. Uh, many of these third world nations depend upon the richer wealth, the, the richer uh, Western nations uh, to to uh, provide food for them, and and uh, they without that food they starve. And there's up to a billion people they say the UN says that are being fed by the richer countries of this this world. And and if something happens to the food chain in these richer companies, then then that's certainly going to uh, maybe push these third world countries and maybe even some of the richer countries into some type of famine. And so. So it could happen. I mean, just this a few weeks ago, the CEO of Tyson Foods said that the closing of the pork plants and the meat plants and the, I mean, the beef plants and the chicken plants are a sign that the food chain uh, is beginning to break down right before our very eyes. I think most of you probably saw the, the uh, uh, news last week about Wendy's not being able to supply beef for, for one-fifth of their stores. And you see these kind of things happening all over, and you kind of wonder uh, whether it's going to be feast or famine, and, and uh, is the food chain going to break down? Uh, I, I personally, and again, I'm, I haven't been given some type of prophetic word on this, but per personally, I think it's unlikely that we're going to see things, the, the, the world prospering the way it was before this virus hit, because so many businesses have shut down, and there's been so many layoffs of employees that that I don't know if, if it will ever come back to what it was 
before uh, this virus struck this world. Uh, <laughs> and, then there, and then there's the fear of resurgence. People are so afraid of this thing that I, I believe that uh, uh, any sign that this thing is, is, is coming back is going to cause people to, to want to shut things down again, and, and this is going to only get worse in the long run. So personally, I believe that it's, maybe we might have some type of rebound uh, in the coming months, but I believe in the long term we're heading for a deep recession and maybe even a deep depression. And depressions are always followed by famines, and so uh, there very well might be a famine of biblical proportions on the highway, I mean on the horizon, uh, one like the one that Joseph faced in his day, and that's what we're going to be looking at today, and uh, uh, we can learn a lot of lessons from, from uh, the story of Joseph and how he and his world faced the famine of their day. Uh, the last time we left off, Joseph was on an emotional roller coaster. I mean, he had been up on a great high when he interpreted the dreams of of uh, the butler and the baker, and, and uh, the butler uh, got out of prison. The baker was hung, but the butler, he told the butler before he got out of prison, hey, please remember me when you, when you go back to, to your job at, at uh, Pharaoh's palace. Remember me, because I was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. I really didn't rape her. My brothers first, you know, betrayed me and sold me off into slavery. And, and, and here's Joseph. He's interpreted this dream. Uh, and only God can interpret dreams, so he had to be a godly man. He had to make an impression on, on the butler, and so the butler, uh, uh, you would think, would have remembered Joseph, and he would have put in a good word to him with Pharaoh, but he didn't. Look at the last verse of chapter 40, verse number 23. It says, Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Uh, days passed, weeks passed, months passed, years passed, and no word from the butler. And so it would have been a real temptation at this point for David to kind of fall into the pit of despair. But, but I don't think he did. I don't think he did. And, and uh, I, I think he did what David did when, when David was in a similar situation. You remember over in 1 Samuel chapter 30 when, when David was running from Saul and he had settled down in Ziglag and, and the Amalekites had come and burned the city and taken away his wives and children and and the wives and children of his man, and they were about to stone David because he had allowed this to happen. His own man were. And if you remember what David did, it's really profound. He, he went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. And I believe that's exactly what Joseph did when, when, he, when he finally figures out that the butler's not going to help him. Instead of falling into a pit of despair, he just went and he strengthened himself in the Lord. He drew closer to the Lord. You know, and that's amazing to me because Joseph didn't have a, a, a Bible. Joseph didn't have a chaplain that visited him in jail. He didn't have any Christian friends in jail. I mean, it was just him and God and, and his faith, and, and, but that's a good place to be. I mean, I mean God, wasn't, God was there. He believed he was there. He didn't see God every day, but he had faith in God, and he had faith that God had good intentions for him and that God hadn't forgotten him. And God hadn't forgotten him. We're going to see that now as we come to chapter 41 of, of Genesis. So go with me to chapter 41, verse number 1, and let's, let's pick up there uh, in today's lesson. It says, Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river, and suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. I mean, these would be cows like you would see in Lafayette in some pasture somewhere. I mean, American cows, fat cows, uh, really good-looking cows. You, could, you can see a, a nice ribeye when you look at those cows, and that's the way these cows were. Then, behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt. Gaunt means they were famished cows. They were, they were starving cows. I told the story this morning of when we were in Acapulco years ago, uh, probably 40 years ago, and, and uh, we were heading from the airport uh, to a really, a really nice airport, by the way, uh, to a really nice hotel. But on the way, I'll never forget it, 
I remember seeing these cows chained along the side of the road, and they were gaunt cows. They were starving cows. They had found just a little spot of grass farm, and they chained them on the road, and there they were eating, but still their stomachs were sunken in. You could see their shoulder blades. You could see their ribs. I mean, and, and it made them ugly cows. I mean, they were really ugly cows, and that's the way these cows were. And so, so Pharaoh, going back in verse number four, and the ugly cows and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. I mean, this is a startling dream, and, and uh, it wakes him up, and then he goes back to sleep, and he dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads blighted by the east wind. I mean, the east wind's a dusty wind. It's a hot wind. I mean, it can change the temperature over there by, by 10 degrees, make it 10 degrees hotter when that wind blows. And, and it dries up. Uh, it's, it's a dry wind, so it dries up these plants, and they wither. And so, so uh, here are these blighted heads of wheat, and they sprang up after them. After the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads, and so Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. So here's Pharaoh, and he has two very vivid and disturbing dreams. Uh, and he couldn't get those dreams out of his head. And, and, and they had a similar theme, and the theme was this. The weaker was eating up the stronger. The evil was eating up the good. And uh, the, the, this, this dreams were so striking that he knew they had uh, supernatural origins, and so in the next verse, verse number 8, he's going to call all of his, his wise men together and, and priests together. It says in verse number 8, Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all his wise men. And Pharaoh told them in his dream, Pharaoh told him them his dream, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Now in Joseph's day, Egypt was steeped in the occult. They had uh, thousands of gods that they worshipped, and they had tens of thousands of priests and diviners and magicians and wise men that, that ministered on behalf of those gods. And, and uh, so, so uh, uh, and, and supposedly these men had access to, to the spiritual world, but the spiritual world that they had access to was demonic, and these dreams were not demonic. These dreams came from the Lord. It's only a man of God or the Lord himself could interpret the dreams. And, and uh, here's the butler, and the butler is more than likely serving refreshments. It's a it's get-together with all these wise men and all of these priests. And he's serving refreshments, and, and uh, he, he listens to the, the Pharaoh's uh, uh, dreams, and then he listens to the fact he doesn't hear any interpretations. And so, so uh, he thinks back to the time when he was in jail. He remembers now Joseph. And he thinks back to that time and, and how Joseph had interpreted their dreams. And so he speaks up in verse number 9. It says, uh, then, it, then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and, my, and the chief baker. We each had a dream one night, in one night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. In other words, they were distinct dreams, separate dreams. Now there was a young Hebrew man, Joseph, with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass just as he interpreted for us. So it happened, uh, so it happened, he restored. The captain of the guard restored me to my office, just as Joseph had said he would, and the captain of the guard hung the butler. And so uh, here, uh, or here the, here's the butler, and he tells Pharaoh about these dreams. And he says, both of our dreams were fulfilled exactly as Joseph had said they would be fulfilled. Now maybe he could interpret your dreams. And here's Pharaoh, and he's, he's disturbed, and he's, he's uh, uh, desperate. And so he's even willing to allow a Hebrew slave who's a prisoner now to interpret his dreams. And so they bring Joseph out in verse number 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved 
changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. Now, at this point, Joseph looked like some kind of wild hermit. I mean, I'm sure he had been in uh, jail for several years, and uh, he hadn't shaven. He hadn't probably taken many baths, if any. Uh, his hair was down to his waist. His beard was down to his waist. Uh, and uh, he just wasn't going to fit in in Pharaoh's palace. And so uh, they're going to have to do something about him because the Egyptians were known for their cleanliness. They, for the, they, were, they, they were shaven and they wore clean white clothes. And, and so he had to be dressed up and sh shaved and, and cleaned up before uh, he could go into Pharaoh. But they do that. And then in verse number 15 it says, and, and so he's standing there. Now you get this scene. Here is Joseph, a Hebrew slave, a prisoner, an ex-prisoner. He's out of jail for the time being anyway now. And he's standing before the most powerful man in the world. And the most powerful man in the world is going to ask him to do the impossible. And really his life is at stake right here. And listen to what it said. It says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So uh, he's, he gives him this impossible task, and, and then uh, Joseph answered. And watch how Joseph answers this. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not in me to interpret your dream. God will give, but God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He will give you peace. He will give you an interpretation. And when you hear that interpretation, uh, uh, you might not like it, but it's going to give you peace that it's the correct interpretation. Now, Here's Joseph, and he's got a couple of temptations here. I mean, the first temptation would be to brag and to, and to tell Pharaoh, hey, look, I, man, I can interpret dreams. I've been doing this for a long time. I, I interpreted my own dreams. I interpreted the butler and baker's dreams. No telling who else's dreams he had interpreted. He could have said, I've got a gift for interpreting dreams. The second temptation that Joseph would have had at this point would be to have tried to bargain for, for something here, to maybe bargain for his release, to say, hey, okay, I'll interpret these dreams if you'll get me released from prison for good. Uh, he might have even bargained for a new home. He might have bargained for some money. I mean, he could have bargained for something because Pharaoh really, and Joseph could tell that, he really wanted an interpretation of these dreams. But Joseph doesn't do that. What does Joseph do? He did, he did what all of us should do whenever we're speaking on behalf of God. He gave God all the glory. Now, what a change that is in Joseph. I mean, He's been there 13 years. He's been in Egypt 13 years. And you remember when he was 17 years old, he was a brash, arrogant, proud little tattletale. And now all of that's changed. He's become a humble man of God. And, and uh, uh, God, God has done a work in his life. That's why he put him through all of that. And Pharaoh sees that, and Pharaoh's impressed. And so Pharaoh's going to give him the interpret. Pharaoh's going to let him know what his dreams are so that he can interpret them. So beginning in verse number uh, 17, Pharaoh tells Joseph about his dreams. It says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them up, for they were just as ugly as they were in the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in the dream, and uh, suddenly seven heads came up, one, one stalk full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could interpret it. And so I need your help. I'm desperate for an interpretation. Now, it's interesting what happens at this point. Because it would seem maybe at this point Joseph would have said something like, well, let me go and spend some time with the Lord. Let me, let me go and pray about this. And, and, and give me two or three days. I mean, that's really what Daniel did when he was in a similar situation. But Joseph doesn't do that. 
Joseph doesn't ask for any time. Joseph immediately goes into an interpretation of the dream. And that tells me, it's amazing to me, because it tells me how close, whether Joseph realized it or not, how close the Lord was living to in, with Joseph, how, how the Lord was right there in his heart that he could immediately come out with this interpretation. And that's exactly what he does. So, so go with me over to verse number 25, I believe is our next verse. It says, then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. They mean the same thing. And here's what they mean. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do in your future. He's shown, God has shown you what he's about to do in your future, in the future of your nation. And, and so both these dreams have the same meaning. And, and they're about your future. Now, the question is, why two dreams? Why did God give him two dreams? Well, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul answers that question for us because he says, and he's quoting from the law, he says, by the mouth of two or three witness, witnesses, a matter is established. And so the dreams came in pairs. They always came in pairs for Joseph. When Joseph was, was uh, back at home in Hebron, he had the dreams about his brother bowing down to him. He had two dreams. When the butler and, and Baker, Baker were about to be, uh, meet their fate in three days, there were two dreams about them meeting their fate. Uh, now Pharaoh has two dreams about this feast and this, this famine that's going to come upon the land of Egypt because God is establishing uh, his, his witness. And as I told everyone this morning, God speaks in dreams. There's no doubt God speaks in dreams. We're told in the book of Acts, speaking of the church, that your young man will dream dreams, that, that people in the church will dream dreams, that, and, and, and God speaks to us in dreams. And if we get a pair of dreams that are very vivid, very maybe disturbing, uh, very exciting, uh, something that we remember, something that wakes us out of our sleep, uh, it very well might be God speaking to us. And if it comes in, a, as we, we hear it, the dream in a second way uh, and we're given the interpretation, then it very well might be from God. So, so don't put it past God to speak to you in dreams. He's spoken to me a couple of times in dreams. Like I said this morning, I, most of my dreams I, I wouldn't even share with you. I know they don't come from God, but, but uh, uh, God does speak in dreams. So don't, don't rule that out in your own life. All right, now. Here's the interpretation. Joseph is ready to give the interpretation beginning in verse number 26. It says, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. They're, they're about seven years, two seven-year uh, periods. And the seven thin and ugly cows, which came up uh, after them, are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east, east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do in the land. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come uh, throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it will be very severe. In other words, all the good times are going to be forgotten because the bad times are going to be so bad. Uh, and that's the reason when the, the, the healthy cows ate up the starving cows, they still looked starving because the starving was worse than the, the healthy part. The same was true of the, the heads of wheat. And the dreams were repeated, verse number 32, to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God. God was giving you two witnesses. He's established it. And what God establishes is going to happen. Nothing's going to change it. And God will shortly bring it to pass. He's going to bring it to pass. There's nothing going to stop it. There's nothing going to delay it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen on God's timing. And it's going to last for, uh, there's going to be seven years of feast. And there's going to be seven years of famine. And so you'd better get ready for it. Now, here are all these wise men. And diviners and priests and all of these supposedly men of these gods uh, who 
really were worshiping demonic gods. But they're, they're awestruck here by the, the specificity of Joseph's uh, interpretations, uh, by his boldness in his interpretation, by how much these interpretations make sense. And, and so they, they say to themselves, they make perfect sense. Why didn't we think of that? I mean, because once you hear the interpretation after you've heard the dream, uh, the, the interpretation does make perfect sense. And, and uh, it really, at least they should have picked up part of that, but they hadn't picked up any of it. And, and here's Joseph, and he's so confident and so bold. I mean, standing bold in the Spirit of God right there in front of the most powerful man in the world, that, that he doesn't even stop with the interpretation. He goes right on and, and uh, 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 gives... Pharaoh instructions. I mean, here's this slave, this, this uh, prisoner, and he's out of jail now. He's standing before Pharaoh, and he's going to actually give Pharaoh instructions on how to prepare for this famine. And we want to begin to see those in verse number 33. He says, that Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. In other words, Pharaoh, you're to find the wisest man on earth. And you're to put him in charge of a task force that will prepare the world, prepare Egypt specifically for this coming famine. And you're to give all authority to this wise man so that he can do whatever he needs to do in order to prepare Egypt for this great disaster that's about to come upon the world. And Pharaoh hears that. And, and uh, I know what he's thinking. He's hearing all of this wisdom coming out of Joseph's mouth. And he's thinking, man, who's wiser than him? I mean, and we know later on, we'll see next week, that Joseph was that man that Pharaoh chose to, to head that task force. Uh, and... And uh, uh, it made perfect sense to pick Joseph for that position. And so God had orchestrated all of this. And here's Joseph about to be the most important man on earth. Only person supposedly more important than him is Pharaoh. But in God's eyes, I have no doubt that Joseph was the most important man on earth at this point. You know, I really wish that some of our government officials would read this passage right here. Because all I hear today coming out of the mouths of our government officials is this, let the data tell us what to do. We're facing this great crisis in our land and, and, and data has become the God that we look to to determine what we're to do. And the problem is that data, I mean, First of all, who wants data to, to rule your life, to tell you what you have to do? I mean, it might give you some good advice so you can use your common sense, but the data shouldn't dictate what we do. And, and, and it really can't predict the future for anything. It certainly can't predict the, predict the future of this virus. So it would be great to me if, if we... We heard that somebody was seeking God for God's wisdom to see what God would have us to do. During, maybe to seek a man of God, that who, who, a man like Joseph, who could tell us what we need to do in order to prepare for, for, for this disaster that's come upon our earth. I mean, it's already here. I mean, we're not waiting seven years for it to happen. It's already here. But, but people aren't going to do that. People are going to continue to look to the data. They're going to look to the medical experts. They're going to look to, to, uh, to, to all sorts of humanistic means, uh, humanistic wisdom in order to solve this problem. And they're not going to look uh, to the Lord. And let me tell you why. Because there's a famine in this land already. And it's a famine for the word of God. And people have willingly... I mean, it's a self-inflicted famine because people have willingly turned from God and his word, and this is what we get. We get a bunch of godless government officials and doctors telling us uh, 
telling us the future, what we're going to do in the future, stripping away our liberties, uh, and telling us how we're going to live our lives. And that's, that's really a sad state of affairs if, if that's where we've, we've come and that's what it, what it looks like at this point. But Pharaoh was wise. He was wise enough that he wanted to, I mean, he had, none of his uh, uh, supposedly godly priests could interpret anything because they were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping demonic gods. Uh, the, 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 the wise men who were humanists, they couldn't give him any kind of solution. But he hears from God through this young man, Joseph, and he liked what he heard. And so he wants to seek God's advice. And so uh, uh, he lets Joseph just uh, keep right on speaking and, and listen to his unscripted plan of preparation here about this coming famine. Look at the last few verses that we'll be looking at today, beginning in verse number 34. It says, let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. In other words, use the good years to prepare for the bad years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which shall, go, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So here comes this very wise word from this very wise man of God. He offers up a plan. And in Pharaoh's mind, who better to implement the plan than the guy who gave the plan? And so as we'll see beginning next week, we'll see Joseph promoted to, to uh, the number one man, really the number two man, depending upon how you look at it, the number one or number two man over all of Egypt, second in command only to Pharaoh himself. Now, if I were to ask you the question, or I was to ask Joseph the question, is it feast or is it famine? If you want to describe the day in which you live, the day in which you live, the day you were let out of jail, is it feast or famine? Well, I think he would say, it's feast and then famine. I know that's what he would say because they were going to have seven years of feast and they were going to have seven years of famine. If I were to ask that question to you today, what would you say? Is it going to be feast or is it going to be famine? I think if you asked President Trump what it's going to be, I think he would say that it's going to be feast. Uh, he's saying right now that all indicators indi indicate uh, that we're going to have a... Uh, uh, point to the fact that we're going to have a record increase in the GDP in the third quarter and in the first quarter of next year because once this economy is open, open back up, there's going to be all sorts of pent-up demand and for products and goods and services, and, and uh, we're going to just see a boom in our economy. That's possible that could, that could happen. Uh, again, I don't, I don't know that it will. I kind of doubt that it will because of all the businesses that are closed down that aren't going to reopen anytime soon. And all of these governors that are not allowing their businesses to open, it's going to be a while before they allow businesses to open up to where they can really make some money and, and, and make, get the GDP uh, to a point where it's at record levels. I just don't see that happening. Uh, I don't see how we can escape. And again, I'm not prophesying here. I'm telling you an opinion and and. The reason I'm telling you opinion, because if it is, it is a possibility, I think all of you see it as a possibility, and if it's a possibility, that's a, I think it's a possibility that we need to prepare for. And so I'm of the opinion that more than likely we're going to face some sort of deep recession or some sort of depression uh, in the near future. Uh, just this past month, Americans lost, uh, 21 Amer million Americans lost their jobs. Uh, uh, the unemployment rate is hovering around 15%. They say by the end of uh, May it'll be at 20%. That 15% is greater than the unemployment rate was in the Great Depression. So we're already there. We're already in one sense in a Great Depression. And, and uh, they're printing up trillions and trillions of dollars to try to offset that. Uh, 
uh, so people have some spending power. But uh, at some point, you print up that funny money that's not really backed by any kind of standard, and uh, it's going to crash the economy. And it could lead to a total crash of the economy. Uh, there's a lot of jobs that have been lost that aren't going to be, that aren't going to come back. A lot of businesses, as I said earlier, that have closed that aren't going to come back. And so, so I think we're heading for troubled times. And I think a lot of people are beginning to feel the effects of, of uh, what we've done to ourselves in trying to, to, trying to be safe from this virus. Uh, I was uh, listening to Jack Hibbs yesterday talking about how the churches in California are going to reopen uh, at least some of the Calvary chapels are going to reopen May the 31st, regardless of what the governor says. And I don't know how they're going to implement that. And I hope we're not in that situation here in Louisiana, but he said we've got to reopen. We've got to reopen because there's people we need to minister to. And then he shared a story about a young couple in, in his church. Uh, the guy had uh, about 30 years old and he was uh, moving up the ladder, corporate ladder in his business. And he was doing really well, and he bought him some nice cars and nice home and all of that on credit, and, and uh, he got word this past week that, that uh, he was being laid off. In fact, he wasn't just being laid off. They were killing his job for good, and so he wasn't going to have a job when this thing was over. And he went into his uh, bedroom, and he hung himself, and his seven- and eight-year-old daughter found him. He had left them and his wife with a, a young baby boy. And uh, things like that are beginning to happen, and, and uh, people do need ministry. And so, so uh, uh, we're going through some difficult times. I mean, I, I think they're going to get even more difficult. Again, I'm not a prophet. I, you know, in some ways I hope not. In some ways I think there's some good that comes out of this, so I, I hope the Lord can somehow uh, use all of this to, to get a lot of people saved, and I think that's what his plan is. And so, so maybe we need to be in this a while. We'll just have to see. So, so what do we do if this does turn into a great recession or a great depression? Um, and usually, as I said earlier, depressions are followed by famines. I mean, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I think we can get some valuable famine survival lessons here from, from Joseph, the story of Joseph, and just how... Uh, Joseph approached the famine in which he lived in his day. Uh, and, and let me just review these for you real quick. Uh, number one, don't live in fear. I mean, don't live in fear. I mean, perfect love casts out fear, the Bible tells us in 1 John. We're not to live in fear if we're children of God. I mean, here's Joseph, and I don't think he was, when he got the interpretation to Pharaoh's dream, I don't think he was bothered one iota. It didn't bother him one bit. I mean, here was this coming famine, and, and, and really, what was it to Joseph? I mean, Joseph had just survived his own personal famine. I mean, he had spent uh, 13 years, part of it in a, as a slave and part of it as a prisoner. It can't get much more of a, a, a depression than that. Uh, a personal depression than that, and so so he had already survived that, and God had got him through that, and so so uh, he, this coming famine didn't bother him one bit. Uh, so he wasn't afraid at all. He knew that no matter what happened to him, it wasn't going to be any worse than what had happened to him in the past, and that God would get him through that. We talked about that last week about hind feet in in, in in high places, how your how your hind feet follow exactly where your front feet go. And, and God has taken us through things before that, that are probably uh, just as bad as anything we'll go through if, if there's some sort of depression or famine on this earth. And God's going to get us through, through whatever happens to us now. If he's gotten us through it before, he's going get get to get us through it again. I, I don't know about you, but, but uh, I've had some personal famines in my own life. Brenda and I tease about the the Great Llewellyn Depression we went through, the Great Llewellyn Depression of 1989 through 1993, uh, after my business had crashed around my head and, and uh, uh, we had uh, two small incomes and two small children and, and uh, we had lots of bills and, and, and we were living really in, in our own personal depression. Uh, we ate a lot of Roman noodles, Romaine noodles, and we ate, we, we ate a lot of rice and beans. We didn't have a car. 
Uh, we walked everywhere we went or rode a bicycle everywhere we went. But I look back on those five years that we spent from 89 to 93, and those were, those were five of the best years of my life. And, and God got us through that. And the reason they were good years is because God was with us. And we knew God was with us. And we knew we had nothing to fear. And God always provided. It seemed whatever we need, we always, we always made ends meet. And, and I know that no matter what we go through uh, in the coming years, God is going to get us through that because of what he's done for us in, in the past. I have nothing to fear. And, and, and you have nothing to fear. The second lesson that uh, I see in this text is, is that God has positioned us in the best possible place we can be to survive any type of depression or recession or famine that might come our way. I mean, just look at Joseph. Joseph was, was, was now positioned in a palace. I mean, he was going to be Pharaoh's right-hand man. And so God had taken all of those years to get him in that very spot to position him so that he could survive, not only uh, enjoy the feast that was coming, but so that he could survive the famine that was going to come upon the land. And he had positioned him exactly where he wanted him to be in Pharaoh's court. And that's exactly what God does for us. Uh, he, I, he positions us for things like this. The job you've got, the, the, the income you have, God has placed you in that position for times such as these. And, and he, he has us exactly where he wants us. And no matter where it's at, uh, even if we don't have a job, uh, if you're a child of God, that's, for some reason, that's where God wants you right now, and he's going to provide for you. I, rem I love the story when David was, was running from Saul, and uh, he was living in caves, and, and he was still writing his psalms and praising God. And one of the things he wrote from a cave in, is Psalm chapter 57. And in Psalm 57, 1, listen to what he says. He says, be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge. And, and listen, until these calamities have passed me by. I will make my refuge in the shadow of your wings, even though I'm living in a cave, until these calamities have passed me by. If you're a child of God, I don't care where you're living now. It can be in a palace or it can be in a cave. Wherever it's at, if you're a child of God, uh, you make your refuge in the shadow of God's wings. And you'll be there until these calamities pass by. God's going to take care of you. He has positioned you to survive and prosper in the very worst of times. The third lesson that I see here that we get from the story of Joseph on how to survive really rough times is, is that, uh, that we're to take the good times and to prepare for the bad times. I mean, Joseph had specific instructions. You were going to have seven years of of feast, and during those seven years of feast, you were to prepare for the seven years of famine. Maybe Donald Trump's right. Maybe we are going to have a, a slight economic bump when, when uh, we come out of this virus and business, all the businesses open back up and things maybe seem to get back to normal. Maybe there will be a bump. Well, take that time of feast, if there is such a thing, and prepare for that coming famine, because I can tell you right now, there have been damage to our economy, damage to the world that the world is not going to recover from anytime soon. There might be a bump. There might be a time of feast for a while, but there's a famine on the horizon. They print all of these trillions and trillions of dollars that are nothing but funny money, and, and at some point, uh, they got to be paid for. And uh, uh, I think at some point, we're definitely going to face some hard times. So prepare for those hard times. As I said this morning, maybe store up some dry goods because there might be some disruptions to our food chain. There very well might be some times when, when there's a run on the grocery stores because people are panicking. And, and you want to have, I, I don't believe in uh, hoarding food. I don't believe in, in being preppers where we prepare for seven years of the Great Tribulation. We're not going to go through the Great Tribulation. So I don't believe in preparing for that. But maybe it would be a good idea to have your freezer full and have your have some dry goods stored up so if the grocery stores do run short, at times you're able to, to, to feed your family. Uh, uh, also, 
as I said again, as I, again, as I said this morning, if you're in debt, do your best to get out of debt if the times are good. Uh, and don't be getting into debt. Don't be buying things you don't need right now. Uh, save some money if possible because I think we're going to need it somewhere down the line. The fourth lesson that I uh, see here uh, in this story of Joseph on how to survive a famine it would be uh, really related to, to positioning the fact that God has positioned us in the place he wants us to and he wants us to prepare not only for ourselves but he wants us to be positioned and prepared to help others. Joseph was in a position to help others. Not only did he help himself, not only did he help Pharaoh and, and the house of Pharaoh, he helped all the Egyptians. And way beyond Egypt, he had, gave out help. And he, remember, we'll see this later on in our story. Uh, he helped his own family, he helped his own brothers. Uh, he actually saved the little infant nation of Israel. The, he saved the nation from which the Messiah would come who would save the world. And so he did that because he was positioned to do that. And he took the word of God very seriously. And we need to take the word of God very seriously. And we don't just need to position ourselves so that we can survive a famine, but position ourselves so that we can help others if there's a famine that comes upon the world. And then the final lesson that I would give to you uh, from this passage uh, on how to survive a famine or about famines is this, that, that this famine if it comes upon the land, that this bad time, I mean, at very least, we're going through a bad time. We can all see that. Maybe a, a recession. Maybe it's a depression right now that we're in. Whatever it is, depression, recession, or just a bad time, it is going to end. It is going to end when God has done the work he wants to do through that famine or recession or depression or bad time. It is going to end. I mean, the famine in Joseph's day lasted seven years. Seven is the number of God, the number of perfection of God's perfect work. And so uh, it lasted seven years. Hopefully we won't go any through, through anything that lasts seven years, but, but it might be seven years. It's going to be, God's going to time it and it's going to last as long as God wants it to last. It's going to come to pass as long as God has said it's going to come to pass. He hasn't told me how, to, how long. I don't know if he's told anybody. But the trouble we're in is going to last a certain amount of time, and it's going to end. Now, some people are saying, hey, this is the end. This, this famine is going to lead us into the great tribulation. People are already talking about uh, there being a vaccine, and it's going to come with a mark, and uh, that could be the mark of the beast. And there's people that are making patent numbers that are 666. I've seen a couple of these uh, in, in news articles, uh, it's kind of kind of scary, scary if you don't know the Lord. Uh, uh, you, you, it looks like people are calling for a one-world leader. I mean, the world is ripe for the Antichrist. And that would mean that if the Antichrist comes on the scene, then we go into the Great Tribulation, and the Great Tribulation lasts seven years, just like this famine in Joseph's day. But you're not going to go through the Great Tribulation. If this is the end, then, then you're going to be out of here before the mark of the beast comes uh, into fruition, before the Antichrist takes his seat on his throne. You will be out of here. Jesus said in chapter 24 of Matthew in the Olivet Discourse, when you see these things begin to happen, look up because your redemption draweth nigh. I really think we're at that point. I'm bit, I told the people this morning, I've been doing a lot of looking up lately because I really believe we're close to the return of the Lord. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be a while. But if it's going to be a while, this famine is going to end. And, and God's going to do his work during this famine. And we are positioned in a place, whether you see it or not, God has positioned us to where we can help others, to where, where we can be of use to God until God comes and gets us however he chooses to do that. We are blessed, and we are going to be blessed. And all of these things, no matter how bad they might seem to the world, no matter how frightening they might seem to the world, they are going to work out for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose.
And that's why I said earlier, don't be afraid. Joseph wasn't afraid, and you don't need to be afraid. Shame on you if you're a born-again believer and you're coward away living in fear. That's not who you are in Christ. Do not be afraid. Don't fret. Don't worry. Trust the Lord. This thing will end when God, when it has served God's purposes. Who knows? We might get back to normal for a few decades after it's all over. But get ready. Trust the Lord. Don't be afraid. He's positioned you where he wants you to be under the shadow of his wings. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that we can trust you through whatever situation we might face in life. Lord, we're, we're facing times that are stranger than any times we've ever seen. And if there was a time to be afraid, Lord, now would be the time. But Lord, we know, we've, we've had enough experience with you to know that you will never leave us or forsake us, that we do and can live in the shadow of your wings. That's our choice, too, to some degree, Lord. We, we, we know that it's our choice to seek you. It's our choice to, to turn from this world and turn to, to, to the things that, that, that we have from you through your word, through your spirit. Lord, if we feed on this world, we, we can expect to face things with a gloomy, doomy attitude. But Lord, if we feed on you, we can be like Joseph. And no matter what comes our way, depression or recession or, or just bad times, Lord, that we can have victory in those times, and we can serve you in those times, and we can be blessed in those times. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.